Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Also, I don't know if, uh, we, speaking of kids, we have a new child. Are the buns here? Where are they? They're in the nursery or somewhere else. That's, they're out there. Everybody's pointing that way. That's because they brought a little Calliope Rose with them today. Uh, she was born about 10 days ago, and she looks really healthy. She's here this morning. So uh, you can stop by and say hi maybe after service um, and see the new baby. So at this time, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church and Children's Choir. Glory God's blessing on you as you continue to worship and study together and sing together. Our children will be singing the Children's Choir in December. The, uh, December 10th, and our adult choir will be sharing on the 17th their Christmas music as well. I'd like to invite our uh, GBC, Grace Bible College intern, Sean Martin, up. Sean has been with us these past six months, and uh, we have had the interns over the years, and we've always enjoyed their ministry, and I know they've enjoyed their time with you. And we are coming to the end of Sean's stay. I'm going to be careful I touch him because he kinked his neck the other day and uh, couldn't move it. But now you don't do that again. You can, <laughs> <laughs> at least we'll have you done preaching, okay? <laughs> okay. And uh, but it's been good to have you with us, Sean. And we're going to miss you. He will be here next Sunday. Will be his last Sunday with us, and then he'll be driving back uh, to the Midwest. He's going to be getting married in January. He's graduating uh, after he finishes his internship here. He's actually finishing and graduating his program at Grace Bible College. Be going on to graduate school. But Sean, it's been good to have you with us. And let's have a word of prayer as you open God's word. Father, we thank you for Sean. We thank you for uh, just his life, his love for you, his desire to serve you, and the lives he's touched and the time he's been with us, Father. It's been a privilege to have him here. We pray your blessing on him as he opens your word today. May our hearts be prepared and may our ears listen to your word this day. In Christ's name, we do ask your presence with us. Amen. So, good morning. Um, I mean, like, like you know, my name is... Sean Martin, and I'm the GBC pastoral engineer. I guess I don't need to go into an introduction because I just got a complete introduction to everything about my life. So you don't need to ask me any questions after the service this morning, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I'm nearing the end of my internship here, and I've got about a week left, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So I'm leaving on the 5th, and I'll be driving back to Wisconsin, uh, my home state, uh, from here. It'll be fun. Four days of traveling through all the Rocky Mountain snow and everything. So, yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of Wisconsin, so growing up, uh, one of the, the things that I could always expect on uh, was uh, to have either, you know, snow. I, I knew I could uh, rely on the consistency of the weather. It was either snowing or it was sunny out. That was basically, or thunderstorm. That was basically what we had. And uh, I've noticed that the same is true about the weather here. Also, it's, it's pretty consistent, although um, not necessarily having to do with snow as much as rain. You all, you all know that more than I do. Uh, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Thank you, Carolyn, for reading the uh, passage this morning. That's, that's what I'll be speaking on. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3. So, speaking of weather, I have uh, an idea. I think that uh, 
the weather here tomorrow will be sunny and 70 degrees outside. Not a cloud in the sky. In fact, I believe that it's going to be that way uh, so much that I'm willing to bet $10 on it. How many of you would take me up on that offer? Wow. What, do you guys think it's not going to happen? <laughs> uh, well, I have so much faith in, in my belief in that it will be 70 degrees and sunny tomorrow that if it's not, uh, Jim, you get my car. So... That's kind of my transportation on the way home, by the way, so I kind of need it. That's how much faith I have in the weather to be what I think it's going to be tomorrow, okay? Now, how many of you think I'm foolish for uh, saying something like that? Good, you, you should. Why? Because the object of my faith, the weather, is faulty. The object of my faith is faulty. I, I could believe that the weather will be favorable tomorrow, but uh, that doesn't mean that it will be, especially considering the fact that the forecast doesn't say anything like sunny and 70 degrees outside tomorrow. So no, no matter how much belief or, or trust or dependence or faith I have in the weather, uh, it won't change the likelihood of it actually happening. <clears throat> Since you are residents of the Seattle area, you know more than I do uh, the reputation this, this place has for being overcast and uh, raining all the time. And I've learned that that's the case, especially right now. So, uh, but you know, because of that, that I would be a fool for putting my faith in something like the weather to do what it's not really going to do at all. It seems like many Christians pray for things uh, and think that they don't receive what they pray for because they don't have enough faith. Have you ever felt that way? You, you didn't receive what you prayed for because you didn't have enough faith. And I want to tell you that it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It matters what you put your faith in. Part of what I want this message to be about is to encourage you that this, this all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful God loves you chooses you and has a purpose for your life. And that this God that has so much passion for you is a reliable God that you can put your faith in. The other part of this message is about what that faith means for us as believers. How does that change the way we live our lives? Now, I know many of you have heard sermons on faith or on by justification by faith or by grace are you saved through faith. But don't check out on me here, because this, this commonly misunderstood aspect of faith that I will be talking about is what could change your perspective of God's purpose for your life. So, I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 2. <clears throat> Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. This is the Apostle Paul talking. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. So Paul here is talking to believers who are dealing with the, these people Paul calls Judaizers. Judaizers were these people who wanted, uh, they were Jews, uh, and they had come to Christ, and they wanted all Christians to be circumcised, whether they were Jew or not. So let me talk a little bit about what circumcision represented in the Old Testament, okay? So circumcision represented being set apart. So Abraham, the father of the Jews, was told by God to uh, circumcise his descendants and to set it as a mandate for the rest of his descendants. It was something that they were to do that would represent this covenant that God had made with these, this special group of people, the Jews. So circumcision represented being set aside as a special family of God from all other people. <clears throat> now, uh, the Judaizers were telling these non-Jew Christians that they needed to be circumcised also in order to be a part of the family of God. But Paul was saying these, these Judaizers are putting their faith in the flesh, what they do with their own hands to save them. And the Judaizers would probably have uh, loved if the other Christians uh, followed all the rest of the laws in the Old Testament as well, um, and all the ones that had been uh, created over time. They were trusting what they could do to receive righteousness uh, in God's eyes. So Paul, being uh, a Jew that he is, decides to give them a list of the qualifications he has to be considered righteous. So he says, I have all this. I have, let me see. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, I was an Israelite. as a Hebrew of Hebrews, if there ever was one. I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church, which at that time was considered a righteous act. And I was uh, faultless because I kept the law of Moses perfectly. So Paul says, I have this entire uh, list of credentials that make me, that I think make me righteous. Uh, but then he continues. In verse 7 he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So that's it. This is our first part. Your new status is righteous. That's your new status. In these verses, Paul contrasts what his life was, what, if, what his life is it like in Christ to what his life was like before Christ, without Christ. And Paul says, in effect, no, no, you Judaizers, you don't understand. There is a new family of God apart from the nation of the Jews. Now all you need to do is believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sin and that he rose from the dead 
to conquer those sins. And you have eternal life. See, see you're putting your faith in something that you must do to be righteous. Uh, but righteousness has already been offered to you. And all you have to do is believe that. Believe it. And, and this righteousness of Christ is yours. He was saying that this righteousness comes from Christ, not from, uh, not from following or keeping the law. And it's important to note that this righteousness uh, that he talks about is a position. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when you receive it, it's a position that you're in. It's not something you can lose if you, if you mess it up. <clears throat> so Paul's opponents tried to receive righteousness by keeping the law, and in doing so, they were putting their confidence in the flesh. Uh, if you were here, uh, the, at the last message that I gave, I talked about the Apostle John, and one of the key words in the Apostle John's vocabulary that you find all throughout his writings is this word abide. So he uses this word abide a lot. You know, he, when he writes about Jesus Christ, he, he says, Jesus Christ said, uh, abide in me, or abide in Jesus Christ. He uses that a lot. Well, the Apostle Paul also has a word that he uses quite frequently, and it's this word flesh. The word flesh is a common word that Paul uses to refer to what a person is outside of Christ. Uh, It refers to what a a person uses to measure their life and the value of their life before Christ changes them. So Paul is drawing a difference between the cultural value systems and uh, the Christian value system. The Jews, they valued being a good Jew. Uh, and being circumcised, and by following the law of Moses. That's, to them, that's what it meant to be a good Jew, to be righteous. Let me ask, what kind of things do, do we put our faith in to be righteous? Some obvious ones are going to church. Or, uh, uh, in some churches, it's getting confirmed. Or being baptized. Or how about uh, reading your Bibles? These are things that we uh, put our faith in to be considered righteous. How about some less obvious ones? How about what family we're a part of? If it has a long heritage of faith. Do we put our faith in that? How about how much we know the Bible? Or how about how long or how hard we've served in church. Those are some less obvious things that we put our faith in to be considered righteous. Now, I know that outright, none of us would actually say that uh, we are righteous by you know, what family we're a part of or how long we've served in church or um, how much we know the Bible. But, but do we act like it? Uh, do we act like those are the things that make us righteous? And if you can't, if you can't identify, if you can't answer that question... Uh, let me ask this. Do we talk like it? Is our, is our vocabulary and our conversation saturated with what family we're a part of or uh, how long or how hard we've served in church or how much we know the Bible? Paul said that, that Christians need to operate from a different value system. So Paul says that these old things, these, these possessions, these titles, these good works of the law are now garbage. He calls them garbage. So I like to go on walks. Um, it helps me to be able to uh, just 
get away from my studies and uh, be able to mull over what I've been learning. You know, sometimes a professor after a class comes to me and says, so what do you think about uh, what we talked about in class? And I say, nothing. I, I don't think anything about it. Let me, uh, let me go on a walk first, then I'll get back to you. Because I need that time to be able to think about uh, what I've been learning. One time I was walking uh, in a park, and uh, there was this guy and his dog. Uh, he was walking his dog up in, uh, ahead of me. And he, was, he was quite a distance ahead, but as we were walking, uh, his dog went up to a tree, and he uh, uh, placed his excrement next to the tree, let's just say. Um, you know, and I didn't think much of it. It's a dog. Like, where else is he going to poop? So, uh, so I continued, and as I got closer, the, the, man, the man bent down to pick up, you know, to scoop up the, the poop and put it in his bag. And as he was doing that, the dog turned around and stuck his face in it and tried to eat it. My immediate thought was, some good thing humans don't do that. You know, we, <laughs> we want to uh, get rid of that. That's not something we want to see. That's why we have a sewage system. So we can flush that stuff down the toilet and get rid of it. We don't want to look at it. That's disgusting. We definitely don't want to put our face into it like a dog does sometimes. Um, so that's the word that Paul is using here. He's using that word. Garbage. Worthless. Dung. It's something you don't want to associate with. It's something you want to get rid of. That's the word he's using here to refer to this old system that he used to measure his righteousness by. Verse 8 says that Paul counts this old system you know, measuring your righteousness or your, the value of your life by what you do or don't do as being two things, garbage and loss. He considers it two things, garbage and loss. Garbage because it's useless and loss because it's actually harmful to his ministry. There's something better than what once defined Paul as righteous. His faith in Christ now defines him as righteous. Your faith in Christ now defines you as righteous. <clears throat> Not who you know, or uh, what you do, or how long you've been a part of church, or what you refrain from doing. Your faith in Christ now defines you as righteous. Uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know, you, you know that faith in Christ is where you get your righteousness from. But that's not the only purpose of faith. That, that's not all that faith is. Paul doesn't end there. He continues. And uh, this is the key to understanding uh, God's purpose for maturing your faith in him. So listen up. In verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So this is the next part. Your new purpose, knowing Christ. So what he's saying is, faith makes you want to know Christ. To know Christ means to be, to be deeply and personally identified in Christ. Identified in three things. He lists three things that we should be identified in Christ. Identified in his resurrection. Identified in his suffering. And identified in his death. Those are the three things Paul lists. 
When you put your faith in Christ, you want to be identified with him, even if it means suffering. When I read, when I read this passage, uh, I immediately thought of Jesus' words when he says, uh, the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Or in uh, the Apostle Paul's words to one of his protégés, uh, Timothy, where he, in a different book where he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we get this impression that, that knowing Christ is difficult. That in, the, that in the, the pursuit to know Christ, some things will be required of you. You will need to give up some things. Or you will need to make sacrifices in order to know and to follow Christ. And because of the difficulty in the pursuit to know Christ, uh, you, you need something to propel you forward. You need a fuel to get you there. And that fuel is faith. Faith gives the righteousness of Christ, like we've talked about already, yes. But faith also propels you toward Christ through anything that you may face in the, in the pursuit to know and follow him. Uh, now, you and I can both nod at that and say, that's right, that makes sense, you know. Uh, but the thing that I find the most challenging is that even though I can easily give mental assent or recognition to that truth, why do I still find it so hard to actually do that in real life? Why do I find it so hard to actually uh, have faith in Christ, to actually trust him and to follow him? <clears throat> Let me be honest with you all. Since, since I've been out here, um, my, my father back home has uh, left my mother and has moved out on his own and he's pursuing a divorce with her. Now, which uh, it's, it's kind of caught me off guard, although I'm not entirely surprised by it. They ne- their relationship never really was okay. Um, they really stayed together because of us kids. And now that you know, we're all grown up and moved out of the house, they, they woke up one day and realized they're living in a house with a complete stranger. And my father decided he didn't love my, his wife anymore, so he, uh, he left. And so now I see my mother dealing with this, this new loneliness that she has, and I see my father making decisions that I know are going to destroy him And I'm left in the middle of this mess uh, wondering, God, why is it so hard to have faith that you will uh, make everything right again? That you will make everything right? I believe we all respond uh, this way when things things happen that that don't go our way. Uh, God, when will you fix the problems we see in this country? Or, God, how are you going to right this relationship that's been destroyed? Or we may say, uh, God, I'm just going to, uh, you know, let you do your thing. I'm, I'm going to just hope for the best during this time of, of loneliness or depression. I'm just going to hope for the best because you know best. I'm just going to hope for the best. Is your faith weak? What makes having faith especially hard for us as believers is the fact that we sometimes don't really understand what faith is. We've taken our cue from a culture that tells us faith is blind. Faith is the opposite of common sense, 
Or faith is the opposite of reason. But that's not what faith is, family. Uh, Let me go back to the list of things that I talked about uh, that Paul used to show that he was righteous. That that he was on track with his faith. Uh, We have our own lists, do we not? Uh, It's easier for you to to put your faith in a list of do's and don'ts because that's what you can see. It's easier to put your faith in something you can see, something you can measure, uh, what you can rely on. Uh, and that's, that's really what faith is. Faith is like relying on the ability of something to do that, what it's supposed to do, something that it's designed to do. You're, you're putting your faith in it. You're all sitting in the pews right now. You came here, you sat in the pews because you had faith that those pews are going to hold you up. Did you not? You're sitting in these pews. Uh, some of you have been sitting in these pews for a long time. And... <laughs> Um, you, ha- you have a strong faith that these pews are going to hold you up. They never let you down in the past. Why would they today? It's hard to do that with something you don't see. You don't, you don't put your faith in something you don't know. Uh, but isn't that what we often think faith is? Uh, you know, putting our faith in something we don't know. Uh, a blind stab or jumping into the dark... Uh, hoping that everything is going to turn out all right. That's, that's not what faith is. Faith is not opposed to reason. Faith is not opposed to common sense. Faith is, is, faith is seeing that God has made some promises to you and that because you have seen him fulfill his promises to other people in the past, you know he's going to keep his promises that he has made to you. That's faith. Faith is assured certainty that God will keep his promises. That's faith. Uh, Let me just uh, list a couple of promises that I can think of off the top of my head. John 3.16 Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise. That's a promise that God has given to you. Or another one is, um, count it joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its course so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's a promise that God has given to you. Or do you lack faith? Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a promise from God. Or how about... um, Uh, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise also. So, God has given us these promises, but if you don't know what these promises are, how can you say you have faith? What can you say you have faith in if you don't know the person making the promises to you? Now that we've identified the truth of what faith is, let's move on to our last part which is, your new direction is forward. Your new direction is forward. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. Notice this is Paul talking. We have a high regard for the Apostle Paul in this church. But he's saying he's not perfect. He's got some problems. He is, not, he is still on his way, just like the rest of us are. Not that I have already obtained all this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on 
to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the first observation I've made about this passage is that there are a lot of action words here. Press on. Make it my own. Uh, you know, take hold. Strain toward what is ahead. Press on. These words are, these words are used to show that faith, uh, faith is not uh, static. That faith is not a passive thing. It's, it's, it's an action. But it also begs the question, press on to what? Take hold of what? Uh, strain toward what? Christ. Paul writes in this passage to take hold of Christ, to know him, uh, to identify with him. Know it, knowing him, not just intellectually, but personally, experientially, knowing Christ. Many of us, uh, including myself, have this misconception of faith, that, that faith is just something you know, we do, uh, we put in Christ to receive righteousness and to receive salvation from our sin. And then, it is our job to live up to that righteousness afterward, to, be, to become worthy of it. No. No. That, that, that's going back to an attitude of legalism. That's looking back on a system of measuring your righteousness by the works that you do, a system that Christ has saved you from. Did, did you mess up this week? Do you feel unrighteousness because you've messed up this week? Do you feel unrighteous? Well, you're not. As a follower of Christ, you don't operate under that system anymore. You are righteous because you have His righteousness. So, so don't look back on this past week with shame. Uh, because in Christ, there is no room for shame. Or maybe on the contrary, you're, you're sitting here and you have an attitude of smug self-satisfaction. Because you did it this week. You, you read your Bible every, every day of the week. Or uh, you did good things to the people around you. Or you refrained from this thing that's been tempting you for years. As, as a follower of Christ, that's not the system you operate under anymore either. You are righteous because you have his righteousness. So don't look back on this past week with prideful self-satisfaction because that's equally as dangerous as looking back with shame. Paul calls us forward, forward, you guys, forward, to what has yet to be. Uh, he says, forget what lies behind, Forget this old system of measuring your righteousness by, by uh, how well you follow your list of do's and don'ts. He says, forget what lies behind and strain toward what lies ahead. Maturity in your faith in Jesus Christ. So let me go ahead and end this uh, by making some practical application for us. So, your life in Christ is new in Three aspects. Okay? Your new position is righteous. 
your new purpose is knowing Christ and your new direction is forward. God's desire is for us to live from this righteous position that we already possess uh, by knowing Christ and by pushing forward toward the goal uh, of full maturity of faith. So, so how can we put this into practice, you might ask? Um, I'm just going to give one simple tool that you and I can both do today uh, that uh, can help us put this into practice. So instead of looking at something we can do to make ourselves feel more righteous, or instead of looking at something we can uh, refrain from doing that we think is going to make, decrease our righteousness, um, I want to challenge each of you to just, to just think of one thing that you can do after church today to know Christ more. And, it doesn't have, and I'm not talking about doing something good. I'm not talking about depriving yourself from something you enjoy. I'm just talking about something that will help you know Christ more. That's it. That's our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what he has saved us for. He hasn't saved us to go back to a list of rules of do's and don'ts and thinking that that's, what's measured, that's what our righteousness is measured by. No, it's knowing Christ Jesus and following him. That's what he's called us to. That's our true and our new purpose. And that's the direction we're moving forward. So while you're thinking on that one thing, um, I'm going to ask the, the team to come up while I close us in prayer. Father God, we, uh, we thank you that you uh, are a God who has chosen us um, despite anything that we've deserved um, because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve you choosing us. We don't deserve you loving us. And there's no way we can think as followers of your son Jesus Christ today that we can do that. So we uh, ask, Lord, for um, humility and recognizing the fact that the only reason we have righteousness is because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And the only reason we can, we can, we can join in fellowship and worshiping you this morning is because uh, we already have it. We have the righteousness you have given to us. And now our job is to, is to just pursue your Son, Jesus Christ, and knowing him, that's what you have saved us for. So um, we pray that you will continue to join us together in fellowship this morning and in worshiping you. In Jesus' name. Thanks, Mark. So before you dismiss, uh, just a reminder that uh, next week, Sean's last week with us. And uh, we, Sean, come up here. I want you to leave with me this morning so you can greet him and uh, wish him well. Sean, it's been good to have you with us. I look forward to continuing to fellowship with you. And we'll see you back visiting with us, right? Next time with the wedding, with the wedding ring on. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for bringing uh, the message through Sean this morning. And we pray your blessing on him, Father, as he continues to pray, prepare to serve you. May we take the things you've learned today, take them to heart, and may we draw closer to you. Lord, what a wonderful thing that we have that privilege of drawing close to you as he is recommended this morning. And we look forward to that. Walk with us as we go our way this week. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people can say together.
Amen.